<clears throat> I want to welcome everyone back to the Picanino Show. I'm very pleased to welcome back Dr. E. Michael Jones. How are you doing, Dr. Jones? Good, Pete. Good to be here. Great. Um, let's jump right in, because I remember something that you said the last time you were on, which was, I think it was the second week in September, so um, the world hadn't changed again. Um, it, it was going to change again in another month. Um, but you said that one of the things that people really needed to do in order to get the ball rolling, to get the conversation going, to move forward, is to start using the word Jew. Do you see a difference in that ever since this thing started on uh, October 7th? Yeah, there was a dramatic change. Uh, uh, first of all, there was a, a stalemate in the international situation, and Hamas broke that stalemate, and now they've uh, everyone's forgotten about the war in the Ukraine, which the United States is losing, and the two-state solution is back on the table, and uh, it was a, a dramatic uh, step forward. But even more dramatic was today, <clears throat> okay? The uh, New York Times publishes an article by the uh, Holocaust Memorial people, and they say the Holocaust should not be used to justify war crimes in Gaza. Wow, this is big. They must be reading the Holocaust narrative. Because I, that is the whole thesis of my book, that this narrative has been created to basically uh, distract us from war crimes. From the beginning, all the way from the beginning to World War II, up to today, there is a consistent tradition here. And that's precisely what's happening. And what you're seeing now is that people are uh, not just using the word Jew, there are Jews now who are attacking other Jews over the use of, of the Holocaust. They mentioned specifically Ambassador uh, Gilad Erdogan at the United Nations. I don't know whether you saw this drama queen, but uh, yeah. he, he walks in, he kind of plunks himself down, and he says, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust, pulls out a yellow star, smacks it on his chest, and says, I'm going to wear this until you do what I say. It's like, I'm going to hold my breath until you uh, let me have that cookie or whatever. This is over. It's not working anymore. And the people who should know, or the people who are doing this, the Holocaust narrative, they want to preserve that. And they realize they're, the other Jews, like this guy at the United Nations, are overplaying the hand so badly that they're wrecking their entire narrative. Well, I know you saw a uh, former ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, being interviewed by Mark Lamont Hill. And when Mark Lamont Hill asks him for evidence of um, Hamas hiding beneath a hospital, he says, now you're crossing over into Holocaust denial territory. Yeah, wait, that means we are going to end the discussion right now. And you have to admit you're wrong and you have to roll over and play dead. And he didn't do that. So uh, my favorite part of that was uh, Freeman said, well, when was the last time you were in Gaza? <laughs> and he <laughs> says, 18 months ago. And he said, when were you there? <laughs> well, a couple of years ago. <laughs> so he beat him in his own game. Well, And what most people don't remember about that is the way it ended. He goes, well, just ask the CIA. Ask the CIA. It's like, well, 
why am I going to ask the CIA? I'm sure the CIA is no different in the FBI in that they probably have to go to a Holocaust Memorial Museum in order to uh, to pass their initiation into this into that agency as well. I mean, they're they're on board with the same program. That's right. And that's the problem. And the problem is uh, who's going to who's going to where are the adults? Actually, someone asked uh, uh, Colonel McGregor this. McGregor said there are no adults. What am I talking about? What what adults am I talking about? It's the the uh, uh, is it the WASP faction in the CIA that used to be the CIA, the people who created the CIA? Yeah. Uh, or are we talking about 1947 when the Morgenthau plan was the plan because this secular Jew Morgenthau had crazy occult power over Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And this was the plan. And Eisenhower had already put it into effect with the uh, starving German soldiers to death in the Rheinwiesen lager. Uh, there were, uh, and it was the adults, namely the, the residual, the wasp ruling class at that time. Well, we actually had a wasp ruling class, but uh, heroic figures like Herbert Hoover, who stood up and said, look, we can't make Semitic vengeance the cornerstone of our foreign policy. If we do, the Germans will welcome the Soviet Union with open arms, and we can't afford to have that happen. And so they switched to the Morgenthau plan. Well, is someone going to do it now? Well, who's going to do it? Colonel McGregor? He's still hemming and hawing. I haven't heard Semitic vengeance come out of the word of Colonel McGregor out of his mouth. Patton used it the same terms uh, in letters to his wife. Is someone going to say this? Someone, obviously, I'm saying it, but I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't have my hands on the levers of power. Is someone going to do this? The answer is, it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I think what I just told you today, about happening today is that the narrative is collapsing, and uh, people are getting more and more upset by the fact that as soon as you elect the new Speaker of the House, the first thing he does is swear allegiance to Israel. Wait a minute. How about allegiance to the people who elected you? How about a, how about representing the people of the United States for a change? When is that going to happen? Yeah, I've heard conser people who call themselves conservative, even MAGA conservatives on social media say that they're they would be proud for their children to go and fight and die for Israel. And then when you ask them, well, what about the United States? How about that? It's they don't they almost don't even want to cross over into saying the United States because they know that means dying for Joe Biden, but they'd rather die for, I, I'm of the opinion that they see Israel as this closed borders, um, right, you know, hard right state that they wish they had here. And there's like this jealousy and they're like projecting their, they're not even projecting their patriotism is now goes to them because they're what they wish the United States would be. Yeah. Well, it has a, a religious aura that the United States has by extension. I mean, the Puritans are the one who gave us the kind of Jewish privilege uh, when uh, people like Winthrop said that the uh, Massachusetts Bay Colony was a city on a hill. These were all Judaizers. So the Judaizing strain goes all the way back. And it's uh, if if you're a Protestant, you have a, a, a much greater dependence on the Old Testament as the source of your, your legitimacy. Uh, that happened immediately uh, at the beginning of the Reformation. As soon as you broke with the Catholic Church, where am I going to find 
uh, my legitimacy. It's going to be in the Old Testament because I am a Jew. I'm the real Jew. I'm the Puritan. I'm the 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 extension of that. I am. And then you could once you get there, then it's open season on anybody you don't like because all you have to do is say, well, I'm Joshua. If I'm Joshua, they must be Amalek. And if if they are Amalek, then I can do whatever I want. And by the way, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu just played this card not a week ago, not over a week ago, uh, and invoking Amalek. Can't do it. Can't do it. The, the Protestants, evangelical sects have been crippled by the Schofield Bible. Uh, they are still crippled by the Bible. They are living in a fantasy world that has been created for them by the Jews who promoted uh, Louis Untermeyer, got the Oxford University Press to, to print that Bible, gave it a legitimacy which it did not deserve, and we're still living in this hangover. So at a certain point, we're going to have to wake up, uh, uh, and it looks as if the Jews are waking up before the Goyim in this regard. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people, a lot of Christian are using the um the old testament to interpret the new testament where it really is the other way around is once right. you once you see the fulfillment of everything then you have to use what the fulfillment is what the revealing is to interpret what was in the past when so much of what was in the past was hidden in couch language that's right you're exactly right you have to use the New Testament to interpret the old. And now we have the world turned upside down. We're using the old to interpret the new. Now, the Catholics are not immune from this. It's taken a different course. This course began with Vatican II with Nostra Aetate. Uh, and uh, it basically be uh, a, a, an experiment known as Catholic Jewish dialogue um, in which all these fundamental texts of St. Paul, for example, got uh, reinterpreted in light of some project that is not in the Bible, it's not in the gospel. And so you're talking about uh, the bishops, the United States bishops come out in 2006, their catechism says that uh, the Mosaic covenant is eternally valid. And we published an article, I published an article by Bob Sengenis saying this is heretical. Well, who do you think you are? And Bob Sengenis had a meeting with the uh, theologians. He asked for a meeting with Bishop Rhodes, who was my bishop, but who was then Bishop of Harrisburg. Uh, and, of course, the bishop was too busy to meet with the guy after Rhodes had sent him a letter saying he's not allowed to talk about Jews. So he meets with the chancellor. The chancellor brings in Father Massa, who says nobody believes in supersessionism anymore. Supersessionism means that we, the church, the Catholic Church, are the new Israel, that the old Israel is gone, it's obsolete, and that means that the Mosaic Covenant got revoked by force majeure when the Romans destroyed the temple. Got revoked actually earlier, but with the uh, tearing of the, the Shenikah, the veil of the temple, at the time of the crucifixion. But this was the fundamental proof to the world that this obsolete, uh, this covenant was over. They could not fulfill the covenant. The Jews could not, they didn't have a temple, a priesthood, or a sacrifice, so they could not fulfill their own covenant. So it's obsolete. That's obvious. Well, what happened here? Well, it was the Second Vatican Council. Not that I'm questioning it, but I, there was a, a ruthless attempt to subvert 
the dealings of the council, orchestrated by a man by the name of Malachi Martin. He was a Jesuit, and he was working hand in glove as a double agent for the B'nai B'rith and for uh, the American Jewish Committee. And if you want the details, it's in my book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. He failed because what he wanted, what the Jews wanted, was a statement that the Jews did not crucify Christ. Well, I don't care. You can't get 2,000 bishops together and agree to something that is so obviously the truth of the gospel. And if you want an explicit version, it's 1 Thessalonians 2, where St. Paul says the Jews are the people who killed Christ and they are enemies of the entire human race. Well, they didn't like that. And they wanted to take into account Jewish suffering during the Holocaust. And this is how the Holocaust narrative got imposed on the Catholic Church. It was Joseph Ratzinger who did it. He was the one who was responsible for getting the Ottaviani preliminary documents kicked out in 1964. Uh, this was a, a new era. We had to take into account Jewish suffering. That launches uh, the Catholic Jewish dialogue. And the culmination of that is the Catholic Church denies its own gospel. Now, to get back to that bishop statement, um, oh, no. Uh, well, they couldn't, they asked for a, a judgment on this particular statement. Is it, should we keep it in the, the, uh, in the catechism or not? The public uh, referendum was inconsequential. And so they had to do it in private. And as soon as they did it in private, 240 to like 14, the bishop voted to remove it. So deep in their hearts, deep in their cowardly little hearts, all of those bishops understood that they had to reaffirm the gospel. That's the course correction that has to take place in the church. Now, what happened is they, they said, Okay, we just printed uh, eight, eight gazillion copies of this catechism, so we'll sell them out first, which in may, meant, in effect, that the bureaucrats who were supposed to implement that decision did not do anything for 10 years. And then after 10 years, they came up with the statement, there's the kingdom. This is this quote, these elliptical quotes from St. Paul, uh, no verb. Uh, there's the kingdom, referring to, who are they referring to? The Hebrews. What did they say? What translation? The Jewish people. Oh, wait a minute. As soon as you say that, it sounds as if it applies today. It does not apply to the Jewish people today. None of those promises apply. From then on, everybody gets into heaven the same way. And it's through the Catholic Church, and you enter the Catholic Church through baptism as through a door. If you do not, if you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved and your DNA is not going to save you. Now, the bishops have already said this implicitly, but they're going to have to basically throw overboard this elaborate contraption known as Catholic Jewish dialogue because it's a failed experiment. It failed. And now we're in a crisis situation because of that failure. We have Jews running the Biden administration, steering us headlong into a nuclear war, the most dangerous situation in my lifetime, even surpassing the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I lived through as a teenager. 
someone is going to have to take control here. Someone is going to have to say, you can't have these people. You can't have Jews representing the American people. If you want the example, go through this, the cabinet. Does Merrick Garland represent the American people? Is that why he's telling the FBI to go after Catholic pro-lifers? And then when, when Merrick Gar uh, when uh, Josh Hawley presses him on the matter, it wasn't it was uh, Representative Drew from New Jersey. He presses him after Hawley kind of flubbed it, and he says, "How can you say this to me? I have relatives who died in the Holocaust." When Blinken shows up in in uh, in Israel, I'm the Secretary of State, but I come to you as a Jew, and I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Tell that to the Saudis. They left them waiting seven hours on the tarmac because they didn't want to hear this guy say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. That's what these people at the Holocaust Memorial are reacting to. Everybody's using it. It's, over, it's being overused. You're destroying the best gig we ever had. Stop. Shut up. Get that guy, Gilad Erdogan. Take that yellow star off your suit, you drama queen. You know, get back to reality. Start talking to those people. Uh, that's that's what the United Nations is there for. Instead of issuing them orders and telling them that you have Jewish privilege and you have relatives who died in the Holocaust, they have completely isolated themselves, and now the entire world has turned against them. I think one of the things that a lot of people wait for is they wait for somebody with power, somebody with wealth, someone with um, somebody who can move the needle to start acknowledging these truths. And it seems like Elon Musk started to do that. And he immediately got attacked for it, for saying that they're Jewish people seem to be very hostile to white people and it's for agreeing with that. And do you think that Elon, by, by Elon allowing people to openly talk and, you know, say the word Jew and even in a, um, in a derogatory way on Twitter, that he's somehow moving the, moving the needle. And if he's not, you know, friendly to everyone on on one subject, at least on this, where he's allowing people to have these discussions in what's become the public square, Twitter X. Um, do you see what he's doing as something that's that's moving it forward? Absolutely. This is the most significant event in the whole internet battle that began in 2019, when basically the ADL went after hate speech and everybody got banned. This is pushed back when he bought this. Um, he started pushing back, and I think they, they understood at this point, this guy, he's too big to uh, ignore. We obviously have to do something. And then they started this campaign, and it looked as if he was going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, the ADL. And everybody was cheering. Everybody hates the ADL. Even Jews hate the ADL. So everybody, it, it was a good a choice on his part in terms of picking the enemy. Yeah. Uh, but he... That lawsuit never materialized. And what he did, in effect, was accept the ADL paradigm. And he said this. Linda Yaccarino said the same thing. We uh, Freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. And so people like me are going to be allowed to say things that I wasn't allowed to say before. 
but they're, they're going to shadow ban me and they're going to try and prevent anyone from hearing what I said. So, okay, you went along and the Jews, uh, the ADL said, well, we're not going to ban the call for ban on advertising, blah, blah, blah. And okay, you think you've got an agreement and you don't because you can't trust the Jew to agree to hold to any agreement that he makes if he feels that it's in his interest to break it. And that is precisely what happened last week. Okay, so now the Jews are going back. They're going against Musk again because Musk is putting anti-Semitic Nazi content next to the ad that the big movers and shakers like, uh, you know, Disney, right next to it. There's somebody giving the Hitler salute. Well, it turns out that's absolutely crazy. That did not happen. It was uh, created by a group called Media Matters, uh, which is headed by a guy named David Brock, who became famous by writing The Real Anita Hill and then backing off uh, and saying, I I lied and don't trust me. Well, are you lying now? Uh, And so a completely uh, reprehensible character who is now in charge of Media Matters and obviously being paid by someone who's paying him. Well, the Jews are paying him because they don't like uh, Elon Musk. And they want to break this down forever so that you will never, ever be allowed to say anything critical of a Jew ever again. And that will be the uh, operating system of um, uh, Amazon, or, or I'm sorry, the whole Internet. Well, now Musk is threatening to sue Media Matters. Now, that's a smaller target than the ADL. And uh, he may get ahead and do it. But did he learn his lesson? You thought you had signed a separate peace agreement with the ADL and it lasted, it wasn't worth the paper that you didn't write it on. Okay. They immediately attacked them again and you're going to have to draw a certain conclusion. What, what uh, conclusions are we drawing here? Uh, when you have a Jewish state department, they, the Russians and now the, the Iranians, they, uh, Americans are incapable of coming to an agreement because they don't value the rules, this rule-based order that they keep promoting. The rule-based order is for everyone else. And I'm saying this is the result of Jewish influence on the Biden administration, on the government, on the Congress, and in the media. And so you now have people like uh, Ben Shapiro, who claim to be a conservative, and the Daily Wire is supposed to be some type of conservative operation. It turns out it's not. It's just flaming Jewish chauvinism. And that means whenever uh, you feel threatened, all rule-based order goes out the window and you're going to nuke everyone who disagrees with you. I mean, literally doing this in Gaza, bombing hospitals, uh, killing women and children, because there are no non-combatants when you're a Jew. And so you have stories like this one in uh, uh, American Marion Spectator, Rabbi Dove Fisher, a man of the cloth, who says basically there were no innocent people in Gaza because they voted for Hamas. Uh, That's the same as Dresden. There were no innocent people in Dresden because they, what do you mean they? Did everybody in Dresden vote for Adolf Hitler? Well, there were no innocent, there were no innocent people in the World Trade Centers because, uh, you know, they may have voted for George W. Bush. Or I, I took it to its logical conclusion that uh, mass shooting at the bowling alley in Lewisburg 
there were no uh, innocent victims in Lewisburg, Maine, because that district voted for Donald Trump. I mean, take this. Where is this going to go? Uh, you have no defense against this group of people because they get hysterical. Because as soon as the word Holocaust, it gets into the discussion, which is how Ben Shapiro interjected it. More people have died in Gaza at any time since the Holocaust. So drop bombs on women and children. That's the situation we're in. It's intolerable. That's not civilized behavior. The world is now uniting against Israel and the Jews and saying, we got to have some type of return to civilized behavior, which means there are such a thing as war crime. You can't do anything you want in a war. There are parameters. You have to uh, observe proportionality. And a, a lady from the United Nations, by the name of Albanese, said basically, Israel does not have a right to defend itself because it's not attacking another nation. It has a right to defend itself against another nation, but this is a province of Israel. It's a concentration camp, and it's all mostly civilians. I would say anything above ground is a civilian uh, uh, emplacement. The Hamas is completely below the ground, and so if you're dropping bombs, you are intentionally killing civilians, which is a war crime. When there was a video that came out that showed the Israelis bulldozing a pizza, a pizzeria in uh, in Gaza because the owner had fired off some emails or tweets, something they were able to monitor that were, were pro Hamas. And the point that I made was. Given the chance, they'll do that here to people who speak their voice their opinions of what jews do um of some of the terrible things that that they do wh whether it's what influencing culture the abortion move everything that they the whole revolutionary spirit that you wrote about that they'll do that here and they've already really started when you you talked about merrick garland going after catholics who are just protesting uh at abortion clinics um but I honestly believe, given the chance, they would take out businesses like that in this country. And for for the reasons that they took that business out. And I think we're getting to the point where you look at the government and the government here would let them. Well, certainly Biden administration would. There are 457 Jews in the Biden administration. I'm sometimes tempted that the only non-Jew in the Biden administration is Biden, and he's completely un under their under their control. So I think you're right. I think that Israel is the future. If we don't stop them here, uh, we're going to be like Gaza. We're going to end up like Gaza. And the lady who will do this is Debbie Lipstadt. And they will. They're already preparing the way because they just issued the most comprehensive campaign to fight anti-Semitism in American history. Came out in May. Every single branch of the government has to come up with a plan to fight anti-Semitism, including the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Forest Service. Okay, and there's a disclaimer on this thing by this completely Israeli-dominated Congress that says this does not have the rule of law. It goes on for a you know long paragraph. In other words, it's not worth the paper that's written on. Well, I don't believe that. I think that what we're seeing here is the thin end of the wedge. And if Debbie Lipstadt has her way, she will make this the law and you will go to jail for criticizing Jews. 
because that is the situation in 18 countries in the world. So if you want to know the future, if Debbie Lipstadt has any political power, look to Germany, which is a completely docile colony uh, run by Jews. It's the biggest concentration camp in the world, and the Jews are all running it. So now we have the situation where Gaza breaks out. A lot of Muslims there. They're going after mosques now. This is completely antithetical to the whole liberal point of view that existed before this. In other words, we're supposed to welcome immigrants because the Jews are really promoting this, and we all know that, and they're trying to destroy our culture, but we can't say that. So we have to welcome immigrants. Okay, that means Muslims, right? Sure, let's welcome. Oh, wait a minute. It turns out that the Muslims don't like Israel. Well, wait a minute, stop. Now we have plan B. Now we're going to go after the Muslims. Exactly the same thing happened in England. And I'm saying this is a classic example of the cunning of reason. In other words, the Jews did the same thing in England. Let's flood the country with foreigners, uh, mostly Muslims, from being displaced by the wars in the Middle East. And they will uh, basically destroy the dominant culture in England. Well, it pretty much happened. Oh, wait a minute. When the war in Gaza breaks out, you got 1.2 million Muslims on the street protesting. They're more anti-Israel or more anti-Jewish than the native population that you were worried about was. Be careful what you pray for. This is the cunning of reason, and we have to recognize it, okay, that England had its day. You had a 500-year run with the looting operation known as the Reformation you basically destroyed British culture. You had the Queen of England, probably the, the longest reigning queen in England who had more power than anyone in the country if she chose to use it. She was also head of the Church of England. She was the English Pope, the English Popessa. And she did nothing to obstruct uh, the passage of abortion, homosexuality, and contraception bills, all of the sexual degeneracy that destroyed the English people. So you're going to reap what you sow. That is the logical outcome of the Reformation. It is the destruction of the cultures that implemented it, and now you will be uh, ruled by Muslims. They're going to take over your country. Congratulations. But hey, they, they get to interpret the Bible however they want. Yes. And the Milton would be a classic example who went to the Old Testament to justify Cromwell's genocide of Ireland. Well, the not only is it the immigrant populations that are turning on them that have uh, the golems that have turned on their creators, but also the college campuses. Now, the college campuses are in in the in the bullseye in the um, crosshairs of the ADL and places like that because well what did they do you know through through all the social engineering that they've done since World War II the books like the authoritarian personality all these books like that where they basically went to destroy everything and anything that had to do with family to do with religion to do with Basically, anything that would that was historically um, considered to be on the right, even if you want to call it that. Um, well, wow. Imagine that. Now the colleges that you took over and you turned into these um, basically white hating 
centers where they're taught to hate anyone who has, you know, light skin. Wow, they've turned on um, these people who they look upon and see white and they see them as colonizers and oppressors. Imagine that. Yeah, it's more of the cunning of reason. So what happened at Harvard is uh, there were protests. There were people there who supported the cause of the Palestinians. And you're supposed to be uh, have the right to protest at places like Harvard. They believe in veritas and free speech and so on and so forth. Oh, but wait a minute. The Jews just took over and they don't want you to do this. And so what we're going to do is dox all of these poor students uh, who thought they had the right to protest. So you have a right to harass them. You have a right to make sure that they never get employed. You have a right to, to all, all kinds of abuse because they crossed the line. And then if that's not enough, we got this black lady now who's the president of Harvard. Why is she there? Well, because of affirmative action, because they have accepted this whole thing that brought in the, the new uh, regime there. And she's trying to defend uh, freedom of speech at Harvard because she thinks that her job. And then the big Jew shows up, Mr. Moneybags, all the big Jewish donors at Harvard, give her the like, Look, honey, you want Jew money. You better toe the line. And it comes down to something that course. And of course, she collapses. What president is going to say no to money? Name one college president who would uh, choose principle over money. Name one. They wouldn't be president. You don't get to be a president by choosing principle over money. And that's precisely what happens. So you have the collapse of Harvard. Yeah. What about, I, I know you've heard this, um, the audio that somebody got of Jonathan Greenblatt talking about how we had this wrong. We were pitting this, they, they were pitting the left against the right, which in him saying that he admits that they had a strategy and that they were engineering something. And he said, well, we really should have been targeting the young people. And I, what I pointed out was that you see somebody like Ben Shapiro who would go to college campuses to debate these 18 and 19 year olds over identity politics, not realizing he's the biggest purveyor of identity politics by promoting Zionism, um, that he would go there and he would go there to crush them and make them look bad. And then people are like, oh, well, look, he's going back to colleges ever since September, ever since uh, October 7th. Um, to do the same thing. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's going back there to groom them back, to groom them into Zionism because he realizes, just like Jonathan Greenblatt now realizes, is the young people just don't care about Israel. Yeah, that's, that was the gist of that uh, leaked uh, phone conversation or whatever it was. Now, <clears throat> well, why is that? Now, I I hate to break this to you, but I was young once. Okay, uh, and I was a, a sincere but confused 19-year-old in college, but there were certain things that I could understand, and uh, that's the situation right now, and that's apparently what uh, Jonathan Greenblatt doesn't understand. Or let's put it better, the Daily Wire. What is the strategy with the Daily Wire? Well, let's get the young people on board, uh, and who, who's listening? Who's the guy who really talks to young people? I know. It's Jordan Peterson. Uh, he tells them to clean up their room and they love it. Uh, so this, let's get this Canadian on board, you know, 
Well, as soon as Jordan Peterson signs on the dotted line with the Daily Wire, his objectivity goes out the window because he's more interested in money than the truth. Jordan, if you're if that's not the case, let me know, okay? But I'm judging from the evidence, and I haven't even it, it became even personal with me when they flew Jordan over to Ephesus, the Library of Celsus. And he starts talking about logos. Now, I don't want I don't have any patent on the word logos, but I did write a book called Logos Rising. And Jordan Peterson has never written a book on logos. And it's not just a pamphlet, it's a long, complicated book about the about the history of philosophy. And I think he was sent there to to co-opt the term. But don't send a boy on a man's errand or because he blew it. And when he got there, it was a big extravaganza. You know, he's standing there in the floodlights at the library of Celsus where Heraclitus once stood and where St. John the Evangelist once stood. And he steps up there and he makes a fool out of himself because he says in the beginning there was chaos. No, you got that wrong. St. John said in the beginning there was Logos. Did you know that Logos is the opposite of chaos? You don't know what you're talking about, fella. You know, go back to telling people to clean up your room. So what I'm saying is that the truth is great and it will prevail. And I don't care how much money you have. I don't, look, I can't match the money of the Daily Wire or the ADL or any of these Jewish organizations. The Jews are now going to raise $1 billion to convince the world that Hamas is a bunch of terrorists and they should all just cheer when uh, Israel bombs Gaza. I don't care. You could make it $200 billion. It's not going to work. Because the truth is great and it will prevail. And the 19-year-olds the know that too. I was once 19 years old. I was smart enough back then in my confused state in the mid-60s to know that certain things were right and certain things were wrong. And you can't erase that from the human heart, no matter how much money you have. And you can't erase the fact that the main driving force behind anti-Semitism at this moment in history is Jewish behavior. And I'm talking specifically most recently about Israeli behavior in Gaza. You can't show pictures of dead children and somehow claim that Israel is proportional in its response and that it has a right to do that. I don't care how many billions of Jew money you have. It's not going to work. Yeah, the um, One of the things that another way I saw that the they're not getting through to the young people and how none of this is going to work is they did a really, it has been a campaign to try to keep young people out of churches and keep generations out of churches. And unfortunately, a, a lot of those evangelical churches is where people learn to become Zionists. So again, once again, they're, they shoot themselves in the foot by, advocating for one thing but eventually that coming back to coming back to bite them that's called hegel calls it the cunning of reason yeah. the and it's an important concept because what hegel is saying 
Hegel was a, a, a seminarian. He's a Lutheran, but he was a seminarian, understood the gospel. And if there's one thing that Hegel did understand, it was divine providence. And the sense that uh, individuals do not control the course of history. There are great individuals like Alexander the Great and, and Napoleon, who Hegel saw personally when he rode into, Hegel, into Jena after that battle. Uh, but they are reacting to the Weltgeist, the world spirit. He called the uh, he called uh, Napoleon the the Weltgeist zum Pferd, the world spirit on horseback. Uh, there is this movement in history, and God is in charge of the movement of history. And obviously, God knows that people can sin and that they will set themselves up in rebellion, but. Uh, if they were able to control history, then they would be God and not God. And that's precisely what's happening here. The world spirit is moving and it's exposing Israel and the Jews for the, the enemies of mankind that they are. <laughs> this is an empirical statement. Now, it's not a theological statement. It's empirical. All you have to do is look at, look at uh, uh, what's happening in Gaza and see the reaction of the United States, I'm sorry, the United Nations, and then tell me they're not enemies of the entire human race. The imperial facts are there. Well, and once you accept the fact that they that it was Jews who were behind the whole Ukraine, um, the whole Ukraine conflict, and how quickly that could become nuclear, you you really have to. I, I tend to believe that they were trying to do the new Kazaria thing in Ukraine, and that's why they wanted to uh, move as many, not only get Russians out of there, but get as many Ukrainians right. out of there as possible. I, th I think you're right. I agree with you. I agree with what you said there. Yeah. yeah. And but they're in doing that, you're you're messing with somebody like Vladimir Putin, who is not he's he's not the pushover. I mean, he is. He's someone with an iron will. I mean, somebody who could take power in a country that that's economy was 20 percent of what most economies were, kick all the Jewish oligarchs out, kick the bank out and take over and basically make that country run again. You're they messed with the wrong person. And unfortunately, that person also has, you know, over a thousand nukes. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. He is a world historical figure. Uh, uh, the, what he did in Russia is extraordinary. And it's, it's basically one man uh, uh, who rallied the troops when Russia was on the verge of extinction. My son was in Russia at that time, married a Russian at that time. And uh, they were, the population dropped. Well, you're in serious trouble when your population drops. You know, you can worry about it not increasing, but it dropped because of the poverty, because of the despair, and and, and Putin was the man who, who, who changed all that and brought it back. Uh, so that I think you're right. I think that's that's exactly what's what's going on now. And no one has the ability to come up with a policy that uh, answers that question because they don't the, the Jews do not have a reverse gear. They know how to say one thing. I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. And then after you say that, you can do whatever you want. But eventually, because you have no internal logos, 
you don't know have understand restraint and because you don't understand restraint you have to be stopped by some object outside of yourself so it goes along great and then suddenly the whole thing collapses on you but i think the conclusion we have to draw to here is that you can't allow the jew into any office of government you cannot now this sounds outrageous this guy is a, a raving anti-semite but wait a minute no jew was ever a citizen until napoleon made that by force majeure in 1806 or 1805 or whatever it was because they understood that the jew could not represent the interest of whatever people lived in that country can't do it well, guess what has happened now with the Biden administration? We now have chapter and verse of how they simply cannot represent the American people. I can't think of a, 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 an example where they do. And not only do they not do it, they have terrorized the Congress so that they don't do it either. They don't represent the interest of the American people. And so we're going to have to draw the conclusion as as shocking as it sounds, uh, and I think the pl place to start is with anyone who has dual citizenship. And I think that makes it more manageable for most people to understand. No one with dual citizenship should be allowed to have any government office, period. I think that's doable. And I think it should start now. And that would mean, oh, oh, sorry, Tony Blinken goes. He's not only has dual citizenship with Israel, he's on the Israeli War Council. How can you expect anyone like that to represent the interest of the American people? You cannot, because you've got a group of people who view the American people with suspicion. What do you think this whole anti-white thing is? White is their code word for the American people. And they're all anti-Semites. And if you allow them any type of freedom of expression, well, the next thing they know, they'll put us in gas chambers. This is the type of hysterical thinking you're seeing now with people like Ben Shapiro. That's somebody that I wanted to bring up. So thank you for leading me into that. Um, when I said that it looked like October 7th was world changing, I just do not know how we go back from this. Even if the they pull back from Gaza and everything goes back to it, the way it was on 10-6, the the conversation's gone too far forward. The conversation started too much. Ben Shapiro has shown that he's a sociopath, that he's a, a genocidal sociopath. So have many people on the right. So have many people within MAGA, within the whole MAGA movement. And I just don't, I see this as it's going to, this is going to force hands. Like, I mean, I've been reading um about the, about the jewish question for 25 years you know and i never thought in my lifetime it would actually publicly be discussed and here we are and you have people who are represent themselves as jews as speaking for jews as speaking for zionism who are calling for genocide i don't see how this goes away this is going to have to come to a head and I Right. And, and, and yes, when you look at history, there's there's very there's really only a couple of ways that this settles itself. Well, when you say come to a head, I think what you're saying is it has to find some type of political expression. 
I mean, you you and I are talking about it, to, you know, in the the blogosphere and something like that. But you don't. This does not stay contained. It's like the the uh, it's like logos. It's like um, the gospel, where you know, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like leaven in a loaf, and you you put the loaf. There's the dough. There's mound of dough and you go to bed it's this big and when you go go to bed you come up in the morning it's that big and you don't know how it spread jesus christ is saying you don't know how it spread because that's my job or my job the job of the holy spirit and i think that's exactly what's what's happening now but there are precedents i mean i i've already said 1947 when basically the morgenthau plan got thrown into the dustbin of history but there's also a time uh, when there was an anti-Masonic party in the United States of America. What? An anti-Masonic party? You mean those guys on go-karts wearing fezzes? Well, that's because it was the issue at that time. The Mas uh, and we have an analogous issue. And so what I'm saying here is the categories of liberal and conservative are completely obsolete. If anything, conservatives are more flamingly in support of genocide than, than the liberals are at that point when it should be the opposite. The one thing that will clarify this issue is an anti-Jewish party. So let's forget about everything else. Let's just talk about one thing. Let's just talk about Jewish influence in the government, Jewish influence uh, in the media, uh, Jewish influence all over the place. Can we talk about putting limits on this? For example, can we, uh, if I'm elected, the first thing I will do is propose a bill that says no dual citizen can have any office in the United States government. Can I run on that platform? I think we have to, because it's the only issue that needs to be addressed right now. It's the fundamental political issue of our day, and everyone's ignoring it. So you have the great white hope, Bobby Kennedy. He comes on and says, I'm going to avenge my father. Well, I love that. I mean, that's real. That's worth talking about. And then uh, as soon as someone says, uh, 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 films him talking about some crack in DNA that makes, you know, Chinese less likely or Jews up oh, Jews. He said Jews and DNA. And then Rabbi Shmuley comes and says, no, he's not an anti-Semite. And then he goes, blows up his own campaign. His own people left him because he's completely out of touch with reality. Out of touch with the reality of the situation. And then finally, Gaza comes to, pay, to draw your attention to it, and he blows that too. Well, you have no idea. You're a politician. You don't understand the political issue, the main political issue of our age? Well, the answer is no, he doesn't, because no one does. Name one politician. No. Name one. There, there, I mean, and any that would say that are immediately going to get attacked as anti-Semitic. I mean, the, I the one the one exception to every rule was Donald Trump, and he completely capitulated on it. He was the most Jewish president in the history of the United States yeah. of America. And now libertarians and anarcho-capitalists are all excited about this president getting elected in Argentina, who. Just basically all of his talking points, he just reads right out of a book. There's nothing there. And then he has this whole anti-left thing that he just basically adopted from Donald Trump. And he has this 
anger, obvious anger issues. But what's the first thing he says he's going to do when he when he's uh, put into office? He's going to visit Israel. Yeah, it's like how there's I've 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 said this over and over again. There's no the person who comes along who is actually going to initiate change. Not saying make change, all the change, but initiate change is going to be the one who's anti-Zionist and who is going to be like, we just can't, basically what you said, they can't have power in this country. Right. We have to to draw the line here because if we don't draw the line, there's going to be a violent reaction and Jews are going to suffer. I've been saying this for years. I've been saying this for years when that that guy shot up the synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh. It was clear that I was going to be blamed for this because of my rhetoric, you know, and they were edging. No one actually spoke my name, but they were heading in that direction. I said, don't blame me. The ADL, I pointed my finger at the ADL. I said, you're responsible because you're banning discourse. And if discourse is not possible, this is what this guy said in that letter he wrote, you know, time of talk is over. That means he can't talk anymore. Well, then you got violence. That's where we're headed. It's inevitable. And you'd think there would be, well, it is happening. I mean, basically, we just saw, well, that thing I mentioned to you today, where the New York Times, the, the Holocaust industry is saying, basically, stop using the Holocaust. You're creating a, a reaction. That's some point, someone's going to have to step forward. He's going to have to say, look, we now have to have this discussion in the political sphere, in the public sphere. Well, propped up back there next to my Dewey Rames Bible is uh, is the Holocaust narrative, uh, the book you put out. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it's I've already talked about the whole thing. You know what I mean? How it's being overused right now. The more desperate the Jews get, the more they have to uh, uh, talk about the Holocaust. So, okay, I happen to be uh, have a PhD in American literature. So for once in my life, I'm actually qualified to talk about uh, what I'm talking about. And that is various piece, literary pieces that have created this narrative. Okay, so we begin at the beginning, you know, with propaganda films. You have Ailey Wiesel's Night. And the big one of the big surprises now is the reaction I got about the last chapter, which is the original narrative, which was a Catholic narrative. Uh, basically, uh, Father Lentz, he's not the only one, but he he was famous, comes out with a book in 1955 called Christus in Dachau, Christ in Dachau, about his experiences in Dachau. Now, Dachau used to be the paradigmatic concentration camp. It was the first concentration camp created in 1933, the moment the, uh, the Nazis came to power, and the first group that got sent there were the Catholics. This has been completely erased from history, and the man who did it was basically Ailey Wiesel. Glenn's book came out in 1955. Three years later, with the collaboration of the Catholic uh, Francois Mauriac, the Jews hijacked the narrative, and now it's all about Jews. Nobody else suffered. Catholics have, don't even mention, uh, uh, not even mentioned in the story, and now the paradigmatic camp is Auschwitz, and the man who gives us the lesson of Auschwitz is Ailey Wiesel, and his lesson is God died at Auschwitz. In other words, it's propaganda for atheism. Lenz said that God brought us to Auschwitz to expiate the sin of atheism. And when we did it, God accepted our our sacrifice and we triumphed over evil. 
That was the story that Ratzinger read. I I will bet you any amount of money. It's impossible that Ratzinger did not read Christus and Dachau. 1955, this was on every German Catholic's mind, and there was the explanation. So all I'm trying to do, I'm saying here, this is the book. So every time you hear the word Holocaust, think of this book, because this book explains where it came from, explains how it got weaponized, and explains why it's breaking down today. I've been reading um, recently the the transcripts from the Nuremberg trials and um, and the doc and the the Dachau trials, and from what I understand, your next book is going to be addressing the event itself. Is that correct? It's not my book. <laughs> okay, uh, we are bringing out another book. Okay. So originally, I was working with uh, John Beaumont, lawyer from England. Uh, and uh, we were going to cover the two aspects of it. Like, his the legal aspect, mine's the literary aspect. And I got to the point, I put them together and I started reading through it. And every time I'd come to the gears, every time I tried to shift gears one chapter to another, the transmission fell out of the car. So I decided I have to do this. I bet. I have to do two books. <laughs> and so the book, the next book is called The... Um, the truth will set you free, and it's called uh, the case for Holocaust revisionism. So, in other words, all the people you associated to so the Zundel trials—these are all trials—and he's the man who's qualified. He's a lawyer. He's qualified to talk about the trials. Uh, that's that's the uh, that's what this second book is going to be about, and it will be out at the beginning of of the coming year. So, if you're interested in chemistry. If you're interested in pl- Prussian blue on the rocks and all that type of stuff, this is the book for you. If you're interested in the Zundel trial, all that type of stuff, that's that's what this book is going to cover. So when he sent me the subtitle, I said, John, uh, I think you should call it a history of Holocaust revisionism. And he said, no, I'm a lawyer. I make a case. And that's what this is. It's like a, f- a legal forensic discussion making a case for those people who suffered by trying to say that there was another explanation of what happened in the camps. Okay. Well, I'm going to link to the new book, to uh, the Holocaust narrative, to Fidelity Press, to culturewar.com. And um, thank you. Thank you for coming on again uh, so quickly. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Thank you. My pleasure. Peace.